Welcome to the Bible Live Quiz Hour. It's time to test and grow your knowledge of the Bible. The entire Bible every year. On Sunday nights at 9, join us here for the Bible Live Quiz Hour. Sophie will ask questions from the Bible Live leads. You call in with the correct answers and you win. It's just that simple. So get out your Bible, put on your thinking cap, and hit that speed dial. Because here's the host of the Bible Live. Your Apache Indian scout through the book of books, Soapy Dollar. Gives me a little ego boost I need every week. <laughs> Welcome, everyone. Thanks for joining us for the Bible Live. Uh, John's here taking your calls and screen them for us. Our phone number is 210-340-9585. You're welcome to join us anytime during the next 90 minutes. We're going to be talking about all things biblical, this great book of books, the Bible. Uh, 66 books written over a period of 1,500 years or so by 40, about 40 different authors. Amazing gift that God, the Creator, has given to us. A record of his involvement. He has spoken. He has acted in time, in space, in history. And he has given us a record of his involvement in the lives of individuals, of people groups, families, just nations. And we have this record. Now, it's not an exhaustive record. He's been involved in every human being's life throughout history. Every nation, every tribe, every people group, everywhere. At some level, God has revealed himself to Every people, that's what the that's what one of the things the Bible tells us is that he has made himself known to every human being everywhere, every people in the world. But we have this very special book, this record that he has given and that he has recorded for us, and uh, we make our way through it every year. This book has, ah, it's so it's not only theologically powerful, historically powerful, but to our own nation, to our own people. Of this land, it has a special significance in that uh, this book became the kind of the wellspring of Western civilization and particularly uh, uh, had a very powerful central place of influence in our nation's history, these United States of America. Uh, from the time of our founding, actually the time of the colonization of North America, and then to the time of the founding of the nation this book has had an incredible founding uh, influence on us, on our laws, on our traditions. And it's been very positive. It has been a source of blessing for the nation. Uh, how long we'll be able to keep it, we don't know. How long will we be able to, uh, to, to how will we be able to continue to obey to honor this book, the God of the book. That's that's the question, right? So anyway, we make our way through it every year. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, Chronicles, all the way through the book, the, the Hebrew Scriptures, 39 books we call the Old Testament, the Tanakh. Uh, and then we have 27 books in the New Testament with the coming of Jesus of Nazareth, the birth of this one who fulfilled all of those over 300 prophecies about this Messiah, this Redeemer, this Savior, this Deliverer 
whom God promised as early as Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 in the first book of the, of the Bible, over 300 predictions and prophecies about that one who would come and be the Redeemer, the Savior, the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. And that's uh, what we read about in the New Testament with the birth of Jesus of Nazareth. Now, these uh, books we read through every week, you can read with us. I'll be glad to read you a very clear, perfect, flawless reading from the Bible every weekday, Monday through Friday, or any day you want to go to the website. Uh, we read a 15 to 20 minute reading five a week, and you can go to the website anytime you'd like and pick up anywhere you want any reading from any of the books. They're all listed there by their reading and by their chap- book and chapters and verses. And you can join with us. I hope you will, in fact, as we read through the Bible every year. Uh, just uh, these great stories, these great people, these great situations. God revealing himself to us as he involves himself in the lives of men and women, uh, people, groups, nations, communities, marriages, single people, children, <laughs> people's lives everywhere. Now, what we did this week, Stacy's here with me. And we are going to pick up where we left off last week. We we wanted very much to cover uh, the books that we read in the past week. Now, what's happened is we've gotten into the final books of the New Testament, which are the, the little books at the end of, of both the of the Testament. Testament. Of the Old Testament. <laughs> well, both, both New and Old. The New Testament ends with James, First and Second Peter, First, Second, Third John, Jude. And then Revelation. So you've got a, a group of small epistles there, letters, and we wanted to cover all of those last week, but we didn't might quite make our way all the way through them. And then this week we went back to pick up after the book of um, Daniel, uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and, and Ezekiel, and Daniel, and so it, these major prophets that, that that their preaching, their messages were delivered uh, prior to the. 586 B.C., 586 years before Christ, when the temple was destroyed, uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, they they looked at that as their central point uh, of reference, predicting it was coming and warning people it was coming and telling, trying to give them guidance as to how they should obey God and trust God, even though that judgment was in their future. And um, sure enough, it came, as they said it would, and uh, a lot of folks were not ready for it. Well, that's that's something we, we clearly see in the Scriptures, and it's repeated in tonight's prophets, that God always warns people, always warns people before judgment comes. That's one of the great principles of Scripture we can count on as well. But we wanted to go back and pick up just on those final books, little books toward the end of the New Testament. Uh, we talked about James First and Second Peter, First and Second and Third John. I just want to quickly recap those for you. Remember that James talks about faith and works. That's one of the primary themes. Uh, James is the half brother of Jesus. He is the um, he was the um, I, I guess you call him the head pastor or the he was the leader of the church in Jerusalem, and um, before it was uh, persecution broke out and they were scattered all over the Roman Empire. But James wrote about faith and works, a living faith. He said that faith without works is a dead faith. And so he wrote about the relationship between our faith and good works. We're not saved by good works. It is our faith 
that is the the coin of the realm. Faith is the mechanism by which we appropriate all the great good things from God, uh, from our God. Faith is the way we respond to, the way we co- communicate and, and relate and respond to God, his faithfulness and his love of faith. But, but faith will produce works. It's just not some kind of an intellectual assent. It means a, a dying to ourself, a total absolute dependence and trust uh, upon him. And that will create works. That will create uh, actions that will change the way we behave. It doesn't make it perfect because we still fall off the wagon. We still make mistakes. We're still growing. There are things we don't know even when we come to faith. I came to faith in Christ when I was, what, seven, eight years old. And a lot of things come and happen to a human being as you're growing to a young boy and, and young man. And so make mistakes and so on. But still, the characteristic uh, we see from the book of James is that we will we will repent of that sin. We'll we'll seek after God. We still make mistakes, but uh, it, that faith is a living faith. It will produce changes of attitude, changes of works and behavior on our part. And so that's one of the things that James points out very clearly. He teaches about the tongue, how important it is to guard our tongue, to discipline our tongue, be careful how we what we say, how we say it to people. He talks about how God is uh, uh, those who teach the word of God uh, to the churches and the pastors and so on, the leaders, that they have a special um, responsibility, that they will be held more accountable than other believers. Those who teach in the church are very, very uh, too much is given, much is expected, right? Much is required. So uh, we see a lot of that. Let me see anything else in the book of James. Stacy, we were talking about this. The world, uh, James talks about friendship with the world, makes us to be enemies with God. What does this mean, the world? When the Bible talks about the world in the New Testament, it talks about this, the godless world system. It's not talking about the rivers and the trees and the rocks, you know, mm-hmm. the, the physical geographic, geological world. Uh, he's talking about the godless world system. Um, the world of entertainment, the world of uh, finance, the world of uh, you know that that the media and so on, the the world view. Uh, some people call it nowadays. You know, do you have a biblical worldview, a godly, God-centered worldview, or a godless world system and philosophy? And uh, that is called the world. Now, interestingly, uh, we should also admit, uh, probably point out that the Old Testament and and toward the New Testament, if you look in the Book of Revelation, you'll see quickly that. Uh, the word Babylon, Babylon, uh, this ancient, ancient city uh, that I guess it's present day Iran or present day Iraq uh, or, or Iran. One, I think it's Iran, actually. Okay. Um, but you could Google it. <laughs> folks. Go. go to the Google and look it up. But uh, the word Babylon it was used as a, a type of the world, a godless world system of pride and and possessions and wealth and so on so uh, the world is a theme from the book of james as well Uh, and he points out well they all talk about old testament figures Uh, james in particular mentions job as an example of patience of enduring suffering and he mentions elijah as uh, an inspiration to us that we can exercise great power in prayer by praying and seeking god's face and asking God, we are told, Jesus told us we could ask anything according to his will in, in his, with his uh, kingdom in mind as we, we begin to think biblically and, and pray with God's interest at heart. 
we can pray with great confidence and God will use guide and use our prayers as well. So James points that out. Now let's go to Peter. I want to quickly get through these if I can in our first segment just so we catch up. Peter is um, one who he repeats the admonition of James that we should uh, we should he says that suffering or tribulation or difficulties that we go through in this world there to be we should thank God for them why because they strengthen and refine they purify our faith and our faith is more precious than gold to God and so uh, that's something we uh, we were thinking about that tonight we were talking about the fact that really ultimately all that matters in this life Sure. Is eternity. I mean, yeah, really. And they certainly would have known this. Can you talk real quickly? So this is, so James, Peter, and John. James and Peter. And mm-hmm. uh, when would they, they would have written this just within 10, oh, yeah, 15 yeah. years. James having, is one of the earlier books. James mm-hmm. was probably written maybe within eight or 10 years of the very yeah. life and death right. and resurrection and these are, of Jesus. I mean, and these, I mean, James, Peter, and John are Jesus is, I mean, not only half-brother, but these are really his best friends. I mean, they saw more of Jesus than anybody else. They saw the transfiguration. They were there when Jesus raised the little girl. And, of course, James grew up with him. James grew up with him. His half-brother, I mean, you know. So when when they write, I mean, it's just an interesting... James and John, uh, sorry, Peter and John were together in Acts when... I always think of that... um, Silver and gold have I none, mm-hmm. but what I have I yeah. give to. So I mean, in Heal terms the, of the, bl- mm-hmm. the lame blind man there, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, they they saw it all. They would they have writ- read each other's? Would they have read each other's writings? Yes, yes, time? they did. I mean, interesting, you asked that because one of the things that Peter uh, points out is that he, he, in Second Peter, in particular, now Peter talks about the Holy Spirit. He talks about the uh, the new birth. He uses the phrase born again, mm. as Jesus had taught them as well. That He talks about the priesthood of the believer, mm-hmm. which is an important principle, that we are a nation now, all of God's people, every believer, uh, we practice, we are a nation of priests. Uh, and that's what is meant when theologically, if you hear people talking about the priesthood of the believer, that means that every born again Christian, every child of God, everyone who truly knows God is to a measure a priest um, because we represent God to men and through our prayers and our intercession we represent men to God we Mm -hmm. lift up men and women our neighbors and friends and family members to the Lord so we exercise a priesthood to present men and women to God and to uh, present God to men and women so that Peter points that out uh, and you mentioned what are you talking about? Do they know of each other? Yeah, it's interesting. Peter uh, talks about the writings of Paul in Second Peter chapter three. That's that great passage where Peter says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God; mm-hmm. that none of it is is by private interpretation. Uh, in other words, the, no prophet spoke of his own. Um, uh, of his, uh, he said this. Remember, the Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. This is what I uh, may see. Let me see. Well, hang on, hang on. Mm-hmm. I'm going to find it. Three. Um, oh. Yeah, the, the, the all scripture is given by inspiration. That's. Mm, come on, find it, Soapy. <laughs> uh, the, what I'm looking for, though, is actually what Peter says about Paul's writings. He's remember, the Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. 
he's explaining why does Jesus come back now, you know, and people were saying, don't worry, the Lord's going to keep his promise. He's not slack concerning his promise, but he's long-suffering. He's patient, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Mm -hmm. And he says, uh, the Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. This is what our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom God gave him. Speaking of these things in all of his letters, some of his comments are hard to understand, and those who are <laughs> ignorant and unstable have twisted his letters to mean something quite different. Uh -huh. But listen to what he says, just as they do with other parts of Scripture. Uh -huh. So he includes Paul's letters in compared to other parts of Scripture. Right, right. So it is interesting there that you mentioned, and they do. They are, even as the prophets of old were aware of each other's, Right. Those that wrote before them, mm -hmm. uh, they would, you know, Jeremiah may quote, Eli, you know, Isaiah yeah. and, and others in that same way. So Peter is there, priesthood of the believer, born again, in the, and particularly the work of the Holy Spirit and the giving of the Scripture. The, he testifies to the authority uh, and the God, God being the source of the Scriptures, the, that they are God-breathed, God-inspired them. Mm -hmm. Now, I... I I'd just like to unpack that a little bit. When you think of that, Stacy, the idea that God wrote the scriptures, used these prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Amos, Obadiah, we're going to get to some of them, the minor prophets tonight. What do you, how do you think that happened? How do you, when you think of that, how do you imagine that taking place? Uh, that it is God breathed, you mean? that his Yeah, God breathed. How did God inspire Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, these, mm -hmm. uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah. Yeah. What does that mean? How did he inspire them? Uh, they, mm -hmm. they, it says, uh, Peter says, the prophets of God were moved by God's Spirit to mm -hmm. write what they wrote. Mm -hmm. Some people think that means he just took a hold of their pen and they right. didn't even have, and he just kind of automatically moved their hand and made no, them write it. But right. I think it's, I mean, it, it, it's just that beautiful workmanship i mean it happens it it happens uniquely i think in in everyday life and then but specifically his word is just brought about for us and was yeah. was saved and salvaged just for us as his word and yet he does that same inspiration and that same storytelling in a way, every, in everyday circumstance. And Fil you filters and it through each individual life, <laughs> yes, right? Uh -huh. and, and what we'll see tonight when we look at Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, we'll see that mm -hmm. God, the message, the essential message remained yeah. in continually, consistently the same, but was filtered through the life experience of each of the prophets. It was mm -hmm. filtered through their personality, their Right. Unique backgrounds, their unique uh, IQ, their mm -hmm. their personality, their temperament, mm -hmm. and somehow they, as they filtered and spoke of and expressed what God was showing them in their walk with Him. Of course, they were instructed by God's word. They knew the other prophets, and they built truth upon truth. Mm -hmm. But it is an amazing thing that that God spoke through individual without without um, uh, taking advantage of and abusing their free will. Right. He used them, their personality, their traits, their right. intelligence, their lack of intelligence, whatever it was. But he used them as they were and caused truths about himself. Yeah. He revealed truths about himself right. through and then, them. And then even worked through the circumstances surrounding the writings to preserve the writings and to um, make.
make the, the whole go. of his word available still today. So it was all about them on one hand, but it was also so much more than just them. It yeah. was about those who continued reading and who yeah. were scribes and who brought about exactly. this miraculous it was, their, it was their life, their personality, their skill, their intelligence, their writing style, mm-hmm. yeah. their vocabulary. Mm-hmm. And, yet, and it was also a mixture of the things that happened to them in their lifetime, the yeah. events that they saw and witnessed mm-hmm. and understood. You think of poor Jeremiah, all the things mm-hmm. he suffered. All these prophets uh, suffered a great deal uh, standing up for the truths of God. Mm-hmm. And, and then, of course, you're talking about a whole different part of the miracle is the preservation. Yeah. Of that record, mm-hmm. that he preserved it so that the Bible that we hold in front of us today, if you hold, have a good, clear, we have very good, clear, modern uh, translations of the scriptures and um, better than ever in history right now. And so we have essentially the words, the sense of what was written mm-hmm. in Hebrew, in Greek, uh, Aramaic, passed on They're to really, us through yeah. these hundreds yeah. of years. Amazing, mm-hmm. amazing gift that God has given us. Well, that was Peter. That's an emphasis from him. And then we got to 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. And that's a hard, those are hard little epistles because John is very theological and, and it's got a lot of stuff in it. He talks about uh, truth. Mom made us, he, she said, <laughs> don't forget to mention truth how many times truth <laughs> is mentioned in the books and the, the, the epistles of John. Mm-hmm. And John talks about light and darkness, walking in the light. He contrasts walking in the light, walking in the darkness. John clarifies a number of things about uh, how can we be forgiven. He he brings out the idea that we are forgiven immediately when we trust in Christ. All of our sins are forgiven positionally. We are made right with God. And, and just God now sees us just as if we never sinned. But that we experience our, cleansing, our cleansing. We be, we continually experience our forgiveness through the faith step, the mechanism of confessing, agreeing with God as we grow, as we move forward. Uh, we're learning, we're growing, we make mistakes. But one of the characteristics of God's children is that we are willing to confess. Homologeos is the word used for confess sin. It literally means to say the same thing that God says about our sin. So that's what we as Christians, that's that's the mechanism by which we experience our forgiveness. There are a lot of believers walking around under a pile of dark shame and embarrassment and failure and despair because they haven't learned how to confess, how to say the same thing God says. The reality of their sin, don't try to explain it away. Don't call it something else. You know, uh, it's sin and it's wrong. So we agree with God about the reality of our sin. Then the results, the the harmful, destructive results of sin, it always destroys. It always robs us of our joy, of our confidence, of our testimony. Uh, so so we must agree with God about the hurtful, wrong, uh, uh, the destructive influence that sin has on our lives. No matter what it is, uh, from a little, maybe a lie that no one knows or something, but every sin will rob us of some something of our of our inheritance from the Lord something of what we receive from him so we agree with God about the reality the results and then the remedy the remedy of course of the cross of Calvary Jesus paid the penalty of our sins so he has removed our guilt and our shame we're forgiven so we receive by faith that forgiveness that Christ has given us and finally the removal 
you know, it's not enough that God just forgave us of our sin. He's also committed himself to taking it out of our lives. All of those, all of those weaknesses, all of those bad habits, all of the, that bad vocabulary we have, those, uh, even, even the bad habits that we may develop, uh, God can remove us. By the Holy Spirit, God is removing those sins from our life, and he will change and transform us from the inside out. So that's what it means to confess sin. Agree with God about the reality, the results, the remedy, and the removal. Trust the Holy Spirit to take that sin out of our life. And he'll do it. I've seen it over and over again. Not nearly enough. There's still there's still the sin there that God's working on and dealing with. But it's such a joy and delight to, that we're able to trust him. And we don't have to depend on our own strength. So um, we talk about, uh, he talks about sin, walking in the light. Uh, he talks about the sin unto death. You know, we talked about that last week. Mm-hmm. That don't 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 refuse to acknowledge your sin, um, because as we in Proverbs twenty nine one said, th- that if we continually refuse his correction, his loving discipline, he can take us on home to glory. That's the sin unto death we're warned about in First John chapter five. So. Well, that got us through uh, those little epistles that we finished up last week. I wanted to end it up. Jude, the book of Jude, is just 24, uh, 26 verses long. It's got a beautiful ending to it about how God is able to keep us from falling. It's a one, I love that promise in the book of Jude, another half-brother of the Messiah Jesus. Well, there it is. We're going to come back next in our next segment and um, hit the final minor what they call the minor uh, prophets in the Old Testament, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, and Michael. We'll be back. All my days I've been held in your head From the moment that I wake up Until I lay my head Oh, I will sing of a goodness of God. You're listening to the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. song about the goodness of God. We're going to, we see that throughout the scriptures. God is a holy God. Yes, we know that. God is a uh, loving God, and he's good. He's a, I love, C.S. Lewis speaks to that, the goodness of God. Mm-hmm. I, I, I won't answer this question for you folks tonight, but um, is God good by definition? Whatever God is, he's good, mm-hmm. or is God good because his character, he's good. I, I, do you understand my question? We all think, well, God is just how God is, and however God is, that must be the definition of good. But no, Lewis says, God is, God is good because God has chosen to be good, which is an interesting concept. I can't go into it tonight. It's too big and too deep and too, uh, we have a long discussion about it. But it's a good thing to think through in your mind, folks. Uh, is God good just because that's the definition of goodness, or is he good because he truly is good and deserves praise and honor and glory and worship for being a good 
God. Well, anyway, let's get back to our Bible books now tonight. We finished up the little books at the end of the New Testament. Let's go to Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, and Jonah, if we can tonight. And it's going to be a good example of what we just spoke of in our first segment tonight, that how God used the prophets of old, how he, uh, he, no one spoke of their own, you know, they didn't just make up their own messages, but that God was at work in them and through them and with them, shaping a message and revealing something of himself through, filtered through their life, their, their experience, their personality, their vocabulary, and the times in which they live. So let's take up the book of Hosea in your Old Testament. If you have a question for us, you can definitely call in, ask a question, or give maybe some thought that you have about any of these prophets or about uh, the scriptures in any way that we've, we've mentioned tonight. We'd love to hear from you to be a part of the Bible Live Radio program, 210-340-9585. That's our phone number, so don't hesitate to give us a call if you'd like. Anytime, we'll break off and uh, take your call and love to hear your comments as well. The book of Hosea. Now, Hosea's name, Stacy, means what? Is this, is this a trick question? Am I supposed <laughs> to indeed answer this? Or yes, do you I get dare to answer this. I means, think you know the answer. It means salvation. It means, it, it actually, Yeshua, Hosea, it, it's, it's akin to the word Jesus, Hosea, Yoshia, Joshua, mm-hmm. uh, and it means salvation. And that's very interesting to us because the book of Hosea uh, is a book about salvation, even in, in the very experience of the prophet himself, which he had a very um, he had a very interesting, uh, shall we say, uh, love life, family life, whatever mm-hmm. you would call it. Uh, he is preaching now to the northern tribes. Mm-hmm. The ten northern tribes, Hosea was a prophet to them. As you know, uh, folks, you, they broke off from uh, Rehoboam, Solomon's son. Uh, Jeroboam led them in a rebellion, and they broke off the ten northern tribes from uh, the tribes of Judah and Israel, uh, Judah and Benjamin in the south, and they became what we call uh, Israel in the north, the ten northern tribes. Um, and they immediately left the practice of of worshiping God in the tabernacle, in the, in the temple. They uh, put up a golden calf in the southern uh, part of the country. They uh, they did a number of things that, that separated them from the commands of God and from the traditions that they have of worshiping God in the tabernacle and so on. And um, they, start, they had their own priesthood. They no longer honored the Levites as the priests, the, the chief priests, uh, the children, the, the descendants of Aaron. And uh, so they, they broke off. They began to quickly to follow after idols, idolatry, and the ten northern tribes uh, left off from following after God. Now, uh, Hosea it, it preaches to them. And Hosea, uh, Joel does the same. Uh, many, many of these these uh, minor prophets spoke and preached primarily to Israel in the north. Uh, Amos uh, lived in Judah, but he preached to the people of Israel in the north, the, the ten northern tribes. So uh, that's Hosea's story is about salvation, and he is told uh, early in the chapter, in chapter 1, uh, God instructs Hosea 
to marry a young lady. Uh, she turns out to be a, 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 how, how do you say, a lady of the night. She turns out to be a, a impure, a, a, a morally impure uh, woman. Uh, she is unfaithful to him, has children by other men. She be, she begins to sell her body. She becomes a, uh, um, I hate to use the word on the radio, I guess, here, but uh, like Rahab. You remember Rahab and another lady of this uh, with this background in the Scriptures we know about? But uh, Go, uh, her name is Gomer. Hosea is instructed to marry her, and he does. He loves her. He's faithful to her. He takes her into his home to begin to support her and marry her uh, husband and wife. And yet she runs away from him, is unfaithful to him, goes back to the life, an impure lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And and then on top of that, Gomer is instructed by the Lord and he guided by the Lord. He goes back and finds her even after she's rejected him, run away from him, back to that impure uh, sinful lifestyle. He goes back and finds her, and he purchases her, her out of debt. Uh, she is into that lifestyle, evidently because of debt. Uh, he has to buy her back, redeem. And of course, the meaning of the idea of redemption, God buys us back. And so in all of this, Hosea is providing for us through his very life and life experience, he is providing a picture of our redemption, how God finds us. We rebel against him. We're lost in sin. We're out doing our own thing, uh, rebelling against God, disobeying God. And yet Jesus came and purchased. He paid the redemption, the price of our forgiveness, our redemption. He who knew no sin became sin for us. And we are bought back and purchased, redeemed by Jesus. And so this, we have a picture of the redemptive work of God, the salvation of God here in the life of Hosea. Now, this is probably one of the earlier of the minor prophet books. Hosea was probably written, uh, well, it was before, uh, probably before 800 B.C. Now, remember, uh, Nineveh, Assyria, came down and they destroyed Samaria, the capital of Israel, in 722 B.C. That's when the ten northern tribes were uh, conquered. They were taken into exile. They were marched away with hooks in their noses and chains, and they were never reconstituted as, an, as a nation, as a people group. Uh, and that was in 722 B.C. by the people of Assyria the, in the capital city of Nineveh to the north. So uh, about uh, oh, 800 or 810 B.C. is when Hosea is writing to them and uh, to the northern tribes, and he is warning them about God's impending judgment on them he says they're going to be judged for their sin uh he has that very famous statement remember we talked about these bible statements you mm -hmm. know the mm -hmm. writing on the wall yeah. a little birdie told me so did you know that phrase a little birdie told me so comes from the bible wow. it's it's also from one of the proverbs uh, i think a little bird tells proverbs tells the writer of the proverbs uh, maybe the psalms but it a little bird tells him the secrets, mm -hmm. and that's where we get that. A little bird told me that. So we have so many Bible phrases, but this phrase is called, uh, you have uh, planted or you have sown the wind, but now you will harvest or reap the whirlwind, the tornado, the hurricane. And the idea is that, you know, we've, we've caused it we, by our own, in, our own in disobedience 
and our own lack of faith and trust and disobedience to God, then we will reap the consequences of our own rebellion against God, uh, the whirlwind. Uh, interesting uh, statement. It, it's, uh, you might not hear it quite as much, but it's a title of a famous book, isn't it? Reap the Whirlwind, I believe. I think so. It's, it's in the title of a book. There we go. So Hosea comes out with that. He's he's talking to um, the northern tribes, calling them to repent, to come back to God, and he uses his own life as an example of that. Uh, during Hosea's time, uh, the people of, of uh, Samaria, the people of Israel, were trying to form alliances uh, with Egypt and with Assyria, but is it the, they were trying to save themselves and escape God's judgment. But the judgment fell upon them anyway. So that's essentially the message of Hosea. Uh, so much more. Every detail is interesting to us. But that's the message of Hosea. Now, Joel. Hosea, then we come to Joel, also preaching to the northern tribes. Um, he, he is talking about sincerity. Don't, don't just tear your clothing in grief. He says, tear here tear your hearts instead. The whole idea is that God is more interested in our faith and our trust and our obedience than he is with religious uh, conformity. Because even, even even as these nations walked away from God, rejected God, they, they continued to keep up their religious exercises. They were still a very religious people. Isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and um, they kept all of their their rituals and so on, and they, they but it it was worship in, in form only. Uh, it wasn't a worship in the heart. And so Joel is continually telling them to to worship in true you know in true worship of God. And he uses a phrase called the Day of the Lord uh, to talk about how they will be judged. Now Joel opens up his book. Uh, the way you can remember him, you can remember Hosea by his relationship with Gomer and his life experience. You can remember Joel because he opens up his book talking about how the crops are being eaten by locusts. He's warning the people that God is going to judge them by uh, attacking their economy. Their crops are going to be eaten and destroyed, and God is going to take away, uh, the, destroy their economy. And that's one of the ways that God deals and judges with Israel and, of course, with nations. Uh, and so he warns them about an invasion of locusts that is going to destroy their crops and rob them. And he, But he promises a time when God is going to pour out his spirit, not only on the people of Israel and, and on the Jewish people, those, but on all people, on all the nations, that there will be a great ingathering into the people of God Uh, And he would pour out his spirit. And uh, this is quoted in Joel chapter 2, verse 28. Uh, Peter quotes that verse in Acts chapter Mm 2. He said, this is what's happening here, folks. Isn't that amazing? That's really neat. Yeah. God is pouring out his spirit. These are the times that Joel was predicting and prophesying when God would pour out his spirit on all the families, all the nations of the world. Is that the only time in the uh, uh, Old Testament that there's a clear uh, prophecy of the Holy Spirit? No, I mean, I, so remember Jeremiah spoke of it, and when he said, um, he didn't actually mention, I guess, by name the Spirit, but he talks about how he's writing, he's going to be a time when he'll be writing his laws on our hearts. Mm-hmm. And of course, that's a reference to a work of the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. now in the believer 
he is we're not just you know just obeying a bunch of rules written up on the wall or somewhere but god is putting writing his character on our hearts uh so that's a little bit of a reference uh the holy spirit is referenced a number of times in the old testament but not with as much clarity. Right. It, it really comes to fruition yeah. uh, after it's the mostly, life of, it's of Jesus. It's kind of the work of the Holy Spirit, kind of an imagining yeah. or prophesying of what the ho- what what life will be like mm-hmm. with the Holy Spirit, but not necessarily the Holy Spirit. Yeah. <laughs> I think we see really Jesus neat. is conceived by the Holy Spirit. He's yeah. filled with the Holy Spirit from birth. Mm-hmm. As a young man, mm-hmm. he walks in the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, depending on the work of the Holy Spirit in him, with him, and through him. To fulfill his role of the Messiah. Mm-hmm. And so now the Holy Spirit is given to us well, that's neat in that Christ. Peter would have recognized. I mean, that just shows how well they knew scripture. Yeah. That he would have been able to see, hey, this is this is happening. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, it, it took them a little while. It, the, the disciples <laughs> yes, were a little well. slow on the uptake. But, uh, of course, Jesus had told them, you know, you're going to you're going to receive the Holy Spirit when the. When the Holy Spirit comes That's upon you, true. He's going to lead you. Yeah. yeah. So they knew, yeah. but they. So when it happened to them, in Acts chapter two, mm-hmm. they went, oh, "Oh, this is what He meant." <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that's that's uh, Joel. Uh, Joel is a great book. He's, um, like I say, the characteristic. He predicts an invasion of locusts in God's judgment. It's called the day of the Lord. He repeats that phrase mm-hmm. several times th- during his book, the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord. And he talks about God's judgment coming upon uh, his people and, um, and the work of the Holy Spirit. Let me see. Is there anything else? The Lord judges. Okay. That's the book of Joel. I think I'll leave it at that. We, mm-hmm. We're trying to move quickly through these now, so we make sure we get through the books that we read this past week. If you'd like to comment, have a question about any of these, Give us a call, 210-340-9585. Now we come to one of my favorite Old Testament prophets because he wasn't a preacher. Mm-hmm. He didn't go to theology. He didn't go to seminary. He didn't, you know, I mean, not that that's bad. You know, not that there's anything wrong with that. But uh, Amos is a farmer. Uh, he, you know, he tended uh, his uh, fig trees and took mm-hmm. care of his uh, uh, his Sheep. farm animals that he had. And he's pretty proud of it. He speaks with a twang, a little bit with an accent. Uh, Amos is a layman. He's not from a seminary or prophet prophet school. Uh, And he uh, was a farmer. And he speaks, he's very clear talking. Have you ever known a farmer? They just, they just, they're people of few words, but boy, they, they they just tell you like it is. You know, if you know, if you've done something stupid, they'll say, you know, I think you did something stupid. <laughs> you know, they'll just tell you what it is. Uh, as I, you kind of admire, that's kind of the environment I grew up in, West Texas. You know, those West Texas farmers and ranchers, they'll just tell you like it is. Well, that was Amos. Uh, he, he preached primarily to the northern tribes of Israel as well. Uh, he talks about the God of heaven's armies he meant, because he's predicting uh, an army. The Assyrians are going to come down from Nineveh, and they're going to destroy Samaria in the north. And so he speaks of God of heaven's armies. Uh, nine times he uses that phrase in the book of Amos. So uh, his hometown is only about 10 miles away from Jerusalem, a little, little town called Tekoa. We have a Tekoa, Texas. Did you know? I think it's Tekoa. Is it I Tacoma? Maybe. All right. Well, Jerry's on the line. Jerry's going to call in and give us some insight here as well, I hope, and that'll be helpful. Let me see if there's anything I want to mention about Amos 
before we jump on the phone here. Do you have a question? He warns. Um, he Oh, that's where I got the phrase. In chapter 3, verse 7, it says that God always warns Israel before bringing judgment. It's a principle of God that he always warns his people before judgment falls. Let me go to the phone real quick and pick up Jerry. I know Jerry's going to rescue us here and give us some insight. I'll do my I'll do my best. I'll just rescue myself sometimes. We need some brilliant insight, some good personal application of of these prophets of God. What would you say, Jerry? <laughs> well, it's it's interesting uh there's there's two two things are up. you know, obviously um Second Chronicles seven fourteen, which was spoken to Solomon, right. it said, "If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and, and seek my face, and I, in terms of their wicked ways, I will heal their land." Humble themselves okay. and pray and seek my face. Yes. And, yes. Right, and that's and that's something very important that people have to realize. That's a very significant thing because it's one of those if scriptures. If you want it to happen, you've got to, to to tie into it. But there's another area that's kind of interesting. I don't think it's been mentioned too many times or seen the connection. But Malachi uh, four. Four through six uh-huh. makes interesting statements. There is talking about Elijah to come, but he says right before the verse right before it talks about Elijah, the, the prophet coming, it says, uh, "Remember the law of Moses and the statutes and the judgments." And then it says, and, and "Elijah will come and turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, mm-hmm. children to the fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse." So there's a ministry that says, you know, we can change things in this in this life, partly because of we're saying of the Second Chronicles 7:14, the prayers with that. Uh, we've got a situation where the president could be, and there, there are prophets that are saying, yes, he's going to be uh, uh, the, the president, and it may start to potentially start a new era of changing society, changing our, our world, and having. Enough of the nations, many nations that do turn to God, so that when He returns, when Jesus returns, He's going to have all these nations gathered before Him and divide the sheep and the goats. And uh, so there, there's a. He talks about nations. Not I think so the, the implication of the word nation would be the separate nations. But there's something that's interesting too that uh, it mentions that uh, He's left kept in the heavens until the restitution of all things. So the implication may be uh, that. Uh, Jerry, no, no haste and no pressure on you. Where is that about the restitution of all things? Oh, uh, okay. I, I forget the exact scripture, but it talks about that Jesus is in the heavens until the restitution of all things. Okay, okay. And so the, there's an implication that may be possible that uh, his his that that particular coming may be a coming that is not having the, the major judgments on the world uh, because enough people have turned and turned their hearts and, and the, those that had done the ministry of, of reaching people and, and like they're supposed to, yes. evangelizing the whole world. And that is something that is a, a wonderful thought because what it means is, to, at least it was struck me, it means this, that, that if he returns after the restitution of all things is put into place and the things are starting to go the right direction. Then he takes over and it becomes an, the inheritance of his kingdom. And just think about the fact that uh, the triumphal entry, which he made into Jerusalem, uh-huh. was marred with the, with the difficulty of pain and it wasn't a beautiful thing. But just think of the fact that he is going to come again and enter into Jerusalem for his coronation. That's right. And it's the king of the universe, the king of the world, king of everything. And, you know, 
I mean, it touches your heart when you when you think about that because it means so much to him, and we can we can put our hearts into you know making it wonderful for him. Good, Jerry. You know, great. There's some passion there. I like that. That's what we needed tonight. Just a little passion for the, for what we're reading about in these books. Uh, thank you for calling in. I'm going to pick up on the point you just made for us. All right, Jerry. Thank you. Thank uh, you. Now, thank I think he does remind us of an important point that 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 even all of these prophets, in particular, well, the entire Bible, but increasingly as we move toward the Messiah and toward, increasingly we see that the, the great theme of the book throughout from beginning to end is the harvest. God is calling out of the human race of people for himself. And, and and that that purpose of God that is going on right now with in in the books we're looking at Hosea, Joel, Amos, God is calling out people from na- the nation of Israel, from from the 10 northern tribes, from the Judah and Benjamin, from Egypt, from Nineveh, we'll see that in a moment. Mm-hmm. The whole it's always about in some measure, and sometimes we lose sight of it, I think Jerry's good to remind us that it's all about, ultimately about the harvest of souls. God is calling people from every race, every tribe, every nation, every people group, every language. He's calling out a people for himself. Mm-hmm. And these, I think what makes these prophets so interesting, each and every one, they have their roots, they have their purpose. Hosea speaking to Israel in the north, Joel to Israel in the north. Uh, Amos is from Judah, but he's preaching to the north. Obadiah speaks to Edom. We'll talk about that in a moment. Mm-hmm. They each have their audience and their own specifics, the peculiarities of their ministry, but they all have a vision of the harvest. That what it's all about ultimately, continually, is that God, and he's using this people group, the people of Israel, this this Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their descendants, He's using them in an earthly sense. He's using them as a witness, a living witness of himself. Not only them needing to be called back to God, to follow God, but they're also influencing and calling the other nations of the world, being an example. So all through the prophets, we see that emphasis of the harvest. God is God's eternal purpose. Now, it gets accelerated when Messiah comes. When Jesus goes into that into Jerusalem on his triumphal entry, that last Passion Week that he expends there, dying, being resurrected, and so on, that that accelerates the harvest. To uh, it, it, it explodes out of Jerusalem, out of Israel, out of Judah, into Samaria, into the uttermost parts of the world, as mm-hmm. we're told. So that is always there. It's always good for us to remind ourselves of the big picture, what these prophets see that is going on, what Hosea knew about the redemptive plan of God and God is calling and purchasing us back for himself. Well, we got pretty good progress there. We're going to make come back and finish up with Amos, uh, this, this uh, farmer from uh, Judah who preaches to Israel. And then we'll talk about Obadiah, who is the first. He's not a Jew even. Uh, he's a non-Jewish man who has a book in the Old Testament, Obadiah. And then we'll get to Jonah. So we'll come back and uh, finish that those three books in the Old Testament. You're welcome to call and be a part of the program, 210-340-9585. Don't go away. May one day 
You're listening to the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. We are back. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. We are one in our love for one another. I hope that's true. Uh, we're being severely tested these days, right? There are a lot of things pulling us apart mm-hmm. uh, one way or another uh, mm-hmm. across this nation. But uh, that w- unity, that oneness of love that we have for one another in Christ is can be a great, great testimony uh, in the darkness and the chaos and the confusion of the times in which we're living I hope that's uh, your experience. Well, we're, we're trying to make our way through tonight on the Bible Live program here through the books that we've read here just in the last uh, week. Uh, we went back to the Hebrew Scriptures. We picked up with the what are called the Minor Prophets, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah. And so uh, we also read just a tiny bit from Micah, but we'll, we'll leave Micah for next week. Let's talk about Obadiah now. Uh, Stacy, you, you mentioned that you... Obadiah is kind of unique to you, and you, you yeah, find him interesting. interesting. Talk to me a little bit about why well, he is he, the smallest book in the yeah, Old Testament. Well, maybe that's why. I, <laughs> <laughs> just <Yeah>. kidding. <laughs> I can get through that one faster. Yeah. Uh, no, I always just think it's really interesting when you see the connections, because you tend to think of um, each, you, you think of the books as isolated because they are isolated and the Bible, you know, right. I mean, Obadiah, then, but but they're contemporaries, and when you get to see Obadiah come up in the story of Elijah, when you get to see you know, Jeremiah and how they, you know, just yeah. all the different interactions. And it's very I interesting. It's it's good for our listeners to pick up on yes. that because th- they did know of one another. Yeah. They they fed off of each other's messages. At times, right. they even reference sure. uh, the other prophets, they, and that's as important. They would you know, and as they, you know, you think of. Writers or different ministers or leaders in mm-hmm. our time, and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know we're we're people. We interact. We talk. We love the Lord. We talk about Him with each other. And anyway, I just think it's uh, so so normal in a way that yeah, well, of course, Obadiah would know Elijah. Or um, but he's not Jewish, he is which not is interesting Jewish. as well. He's mentioned in yes. uh, it's Elijah, right? That that. I, I think our li- our listeners may remember that Elijah was very um, despondent, maybe even depressed. He was a little bit running scared. He lived during the time of Ahab and Jezebel, this yes. very wicked uh, king and queen of uh, Israel in the north. And they, um, they were very, very threatening to yes. God and God's yeah. people and God's prophets and elijah thought he was all alone that you know that there aren't any more i'm the last one alive and they were threatening his life and out comes this fellow named obadiah who is he is a a keeper he's he's some kind of authority in the palace of ahab and jezebel and and he himself has saved i think he hid a hundred prophets Mm -hmm. he did what elijah he so he did as elijah asked him to do and hid Uh the prophets um and so Elijah did have a friend, and it was a friend in Obadiah. In Obadiah, mm-hmm. that's right. So who is uh, not who is uh, like you said though from a, a, a descendant of Esau. So he is an Edomite. He is an Edomite, and that's an interesting thing because in his book, uh, uh, following the book of Amos, we read Obadiah. Obadiah is preaching to. He's directing his message to whom? 
to the people of Edom. He himself is an Edomite. He's converted. He is uh, trusting in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's a, a convert to the faith, uh, part of Israel, of course, still. But uh, but his his uh, ethnic background was from Edom, and he ends up preaching to the people uh, of Edom, warning them about their harassing. They have a long history of harassing and threatening and, and persecuting the people of Israel. Mm-hmm. Um of course, you remember where Edom came from as a nation. Uh, Jacob and Esau were the sons of Isaac, and Jacob is the son of promise. He values the things of God. He values the, the legacy, the promises of God. Esau doesn't. And, and so Esau, they, they both go on to become head of uh, kingdoms, head of nations. Mm-hmm. But, of course, um, Jacob is the son of promise. Mm-hmm. And Esau's mother is Hagar. Right, yes. Right. So, so Esau's parents are Abraham and Hagar, right? Uh, am I getting this right? Esau, say, say again now. Esau's parents is uh, sorry. No, that's uh, Rebecca. Right, right. Okay, never mind. Y- you're, yeah, but but it's uh, I know who you're talking about. Yes. You, you, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> you know what I mean. We both. Everybody knows what <laughs> she's talking about, right? Uh, no, uh, both uh, Jacob and Esau are sons of of. Um, Rebecca, yeah. uh, Isaac's wife. But like I said, Esau did not value the things of God. He didn't. He was the older. Bro- he came out first. They were twin brothers. Mm-hmm. But he did not value the things of God. They were not important to them. He sold his birthright for right. a, a, pot, a bowl of porridge or whatever they call it. And uh, but it was but it was Jacob who ends up. Valuing the things of God, of Abraham, of, of his mm-hmm. father. And, and Jacob has a long conversion process. He grows and grows in his commitment to God. He's, he's a slow learner, but he gets there. He mm-hmm. learns. Mm-hmm. Now, um, Esau did not marry uh, in his own people group. He did not stay in the faith. He abandoned it and went off. They were friends for a while. They were re, they mm-hmm. were reunited after Jacob came back from the north where he had found his wives, uh, Rachel uh, and Leah, and they met, and, and, and Esau evidently forgave him, and they made peace, but they went their separate directions and legacies. The interesting thing you asked me when we were talking about this earlier was that was um, was Esau still considered a Jew? Right. <laughs> when I thought, what, no, n- no, he wasn't. I don't believe so. Now, the Jew, the idea of Judaism comes from Judah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he would not be identified with the people of God. And his the, the nation he founded, Edom, they were they were as I as it says here, they 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 harassed Israel, they mm-hmm. they did a lot of things in, throughout their history. And, and yet they were related. And I yet mean, they were related. Yeah. And, people and, that belonged together but weren't together. They would have probably looked very similar. Yeah. I mean well, Obadiah uh, predicts their their demise. He said that uh, Israel will be destroyed. He tells about their judgment as, as well, but they would be restored. But Obadiah says that Edom will be destroyed and disappear like they never existed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, of course, they, they're they gone. Well, mm-hmm. We don't read about them today uh, for sure. So th- there we have it, Hosea. Uh, and the Gomer, the marriage, Joel, and the locust invasion of locusts and his prediction of the Holy Spirit. Amos, 
the farmer, the old farm man who talks about he's a shepherd and a tender of trees, but he uh, warns them two of their impending judgment. In 722 B.C. is when uh, Assyria, with their capital in Nineveh, Nineveh was a great, great, powerful city to the north of Israel, up there on the Euphrates River. Their, their armies came down and destroyed Samaria, the capital, the last capital of, of um, Israel in the north, and took them uh, into in chains with hooks through their noses, took them away into exile never to return. Now, one more now we want to mention here is our old friend Jonah. Now, probably one of the more well-known of the prophets because actually Jonah's book is unique because it isn't the whole book is is dedicated not to delivering his messages. Most of the books of the prophets uh, their content is their messages, their warnings, that what they preach to the people. Although all of the books tell a little bit about the prophet himself, where he was from, what is his parentage, uh, maybe a, a, an event, a, a little bit of their background and something about them. The book of Jonah, almost the entire book, is about the experience of the prophet. In, in fact, Jonah's message, at least in, as we have it in English, is only, what, seven Seven words long. Right. In 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed. <laughs> that was it. He didn't give them, a, you know, a three points in a poem. You know, just give them. <laughs> you're going to, you know, uh, you're going you're gonna to be destroyed. That's it. And then he went out and sat by the side of the city and watched, just <laughs> wanted to see the uh, flames come down. He wanted to see what happened to the city. Uh, he went out and sat and, and uh, so on. Well, But what is the story of Jonah? Go ahead, Stacy. Tell Tell the listeners, just remind everybody, if they don't know the story, remember the big fish or the whale, as people <laughs> call it, uh, he was swallowed. But tell yeah. them the, kind of the whole story as you can remember. Oh, well, I mean, Jonah was called to go to, where, where was he? Jonah was called to go uh, to Nineveh to preach this, mm -hmm. and he did not want to. Why did he not want to go? Because he did not, Nineveh would have been, I mean, they were evil. They were, they were his enemies. They would, uh, he, he did not want them to be saved. He didn't want them to have any kind of word from the Lord. He did not yeah. like them. No, he said, he, you know, he wanted them to be destroyed. He, he says, wanted them to be destroyed, uh, yeah. And he says, um, he said, I, I didn't want to go because I knew you were, I knew you would do this. You were, <laughs> you were so kind and generous and loving and patient and kind. Uh, I knew you were going to do this. That's why I didn't kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be yeah. dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen, you know, yeah. that God was going to. But can you imagine what happened in that city? From the, yeah. the emperor, from the king, all the way around, it says all the way from the greatest to the mm -hmm. lowest among them, mm -hmm. they repented. They put on sackcloth yeah. and ashes and they repented of their sin. That's one of the great revivals uh, of the Bible. I yeah. mean, it, it talks about 120,000 people. I, uh, I, I think in some books it says 120,000 who do not know their life left hand from their right. So that uh, actually, I've heard estimates of up to 800,000 in the in the city. But um, so he's called. So he's 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 yeah. told to go, and he doesn't want to. But he doesn't go. But he uh, so he flees. He instead goes the other direction. Now how do you run from God? I don't know. He gets on a ship. Well, you don't, <laughs> evidently. <laughs> and uh, and then the storm comes, and he... So he gets on a ship, and it's headed for Tarshish, which is probably at the other end of the Mediterranean, mm -hmm. what we know now as Spain. Mm -hmm. So he was headed down the other end of the Mediterranean. 
on this ship, mm-hmm. and a great storm comes up. Storm comes, and they, they and the and sailors don't know what to do. Sailors, they don't know. Oh, and, bless their little hearts! They uh, were so scared. They were. I mean, they're going to die, mm-hmm. you know. And, and they go get him, mm-hmm. uh, and they cast lots mm-hmm. to find out who's responsible. Like, you know how I know. I guess they thought, well, somebody's done something wrong. That's why God is angry mm-hmm. with us or something. But it comes up on Jonah, Jonah. and where did they find Jonah? Where were I in the, uh, in the, oh, he was sleeping. He was sleeping down below. <laughs> he was down in the ship asleep. So they get him, and they tell him what's going on, and he tells them that he's the reason. He's the reason. Throw me over. He tells them to throw him over. The yeah. Wow. And so they do. And he ends up in the belly of a big fish. Yeah. And uh, he was swallowed by a, a great fish. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's. It's not said to be a whale. It's a great fish. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've heard all kinds of things all my mm-hmm. life about what kind of fish and how you know. But uh, the point is, it says he was swallowed by a great fish, but he somehow survives, survives there. He, uh, uh, in the I don't think he ever quite. He prays. Uh, he even prays. Yeah. In the stomach of the fish. Mm-hmm. And um, and then the fish throws him up. And what and happens to the sailors? And they they, they, they survive. survive it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they survive. And, and they convert. It says they yeah. worship the god. Of, yeah. <laughs> they yeah. worship the god that Jonah worships. Yeah. So, yeah. Hey, we are. I'll have what he's having. This yeah. is that's the only true living God. And mm-hmm. so they they this says they worship God, uh, make offerings to Him, and then now Jonah uh, is in the belly of the whale. It talks about him being there. He prays and 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 then the the whale delivers him back to the shore mm-hmm. and, and vomits like, him up on okay, the shore. I'll go. <laughs> and then Jonah goes up and shows up at Nineveh. After all that, he still doesn't. Quite want to, but can I guess he realizes he, he like? must at this point. Can you imagine what he might I have looked like? I can imagine what he smelled like. <laughs> it smelled like, looked like, <laughs> his clothes, I mean, with the seaweed still. Or would he have been bleached by the digestive juices of the fish? Would he be bleached white? Would he look, <laughs> maybe he looked so much like a zombie or something that that's why they heard his <laughs> message. <laughs> right. uh, he said in, 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 in 40 Forty days, right? In forty days, mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. um, Nineveh will be destroyed, mm-hmm. and so then he goes and sits outside the gates, waiting for it to happen. And so, um, when God saw that they they had repented on the day, he shouted, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed." The people of Nineveh believed God's message. From the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. Mm-hmm. The king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying. He stepped down from his throne and took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in burlap and sat on a heap of ashes. I mean, they, they, they not even the animals from your herds and flock may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning. And everyone must pray earnestly to God and turn from your evil ways and stop their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. When God saw that they what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened at that time. Mm-hmm. And so this made Jonah angry because he knew that the prediction was that Nineveh would come and destroy Samaria in the north, Israel. And he was upset, and he said, just kill me now. I'd rather be dead than alive if what you predicted was not going to happen. 
And so it didn't happen. And the ending, uh, chapter 4 there, uh, God says, you feel sorry for the plant, you know, because God caused a little plant to get, grow up and give him some shade, and then it disappeared. You feel sorry for the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died away. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness. Uh, uh, in Hebrew, it says people who don't know their right hand from their left. And that may mean children. Mm-hmm. So it could have been greater population. But Nineveh has all these people, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? And there you have it, uh, one of the great revivals of the entire Bible. And uh, with an unwilling preacher, an unwilling ev- evangelist, he he finally did what he was supposed to do, but he had to be pushed into it and shoved all the way. Uh, what hope, what what blessing, what, what message do we get from that story, Stace? <laughs> well, uh, I think some of it is, even despite our own, despite ourselves, God will use us. Um, you know that, Jonah yeah. didn't like that thought, <laughs> but frankly, I take great comfort from it. With all of my weaknesses and all of my distractions and all of my, you know, the things that... That God's still working on me to know that God is still willing to use me. Mm-hmm. That, you know, he doesn't, you know, just if you think through the Bible. Not just willing, but will go to extra lengths to oh, ensure yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. If you think through the Bible, just start at the beginning. Think about Abraham. Think about this one. Think about the other one. Think about all these. Saul, David, Solomon, every one of them. Mm-hmm. To use a coin of phrase from today, they were all losers. God uses losers. He loses. He uses people who are weak, yeah. who are who are prone to wander from Him, and, and it's it is still good to know that He can use and will use me. I, now I don't want to be eliminated. I don't want to not obey Him, but I find comfort in the idea that God is going to do more with me, in me, through me than I would have even imagined, mm-hmm. and that it, 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 that it's not based on our deservedness it's his his grace mm-hmm. it's not only we're saved by grace but we're we're being saved day to day we're being used everything is about god and his grace and mercy at work in and through our lives uh, and that's i think that's a great lesson we get from all of these what are called minor prophets every one of them very very of course dramatically in the life of jonah who intentionally ran away from god now, the next week, uh, this coming week, we're going to pick up on Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. Mm-hmm. We're going to look at some of these other. And each one of them have their own story. Uh, folks, when you're reading the Minor Prophets, don't don't get discouraged. Uh, uh, get, a, get one of these Bibles that has a good commentary and gives you a little historic context so you know something about the prophet, who he was, uh, what was his background, what was he, you know, was he a farmer, was he this, was he that, and what happened to him in his life. And and then you can imagine the, the they have insight into God. God revealed to them very strongly something he was doing in their time, what he was going to do in their nation, in their world. And yet it was all related ultimately to the big picture, the great harvest. Yeah, and of I think souls. what it's doing, I mean, what, you know, what you're talking about um, the just different people and one of the neat things, you know, these are, God's people in the whole Bible, you know, is how is he bringing about a people for him? And it, you see, I mean, in Hosea, you see, a, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say, but, you know, a, a, 
constitute, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, and God's love and his dedication and his deciding to reveal himself as someone who absolutely adores and loves and will be faithful to a prostitute. Mm-hmm. And you, you see, Od- uh, you know, Obadiah, an Edomite, you know, who's outside of, was not the called one. Mm-hmm. We would not think of, you see Jonah and he's going to save He's being sent to Nineveh, this evil, cruel enemy of Israel. And you just see over and over how God is bringing together. He's such a paradox in a, in a way. You know, he's, he's the author of goodness. He's the author of mercy and of justice and of peace and of fruitfulness. And, of, and yet going, going and, and, and yet calling or, or, or I guess meeting a people that are unjust and unfaithful and, and it's just this like reconciliation of perfect justice and mercy mm-hmm. and love and goodness with um, brokenness and unfaithfulness and weakness weakness and evil <laughs> remember the old hymn prone to wander Lord oh, I feel it you know, we, we we wander f- I think that the the books of the, these minor prophets this week in particular, maybe that would be the central message and theme of of these books is that God uses not only are we saved and going to be in heaven in God's presence forever as as a grace as a work of grace, mm-hmm. but not only has God given it made us part of His family, He's given us given us a place to serve him a place uh, of honor to serve him he's given significance and meaning uh, you know this little apache indian right. baby you know born out of wedlock passed you know passed around to 16 different families and put into a home for homeless and delinquent boys uh, I, I, not that it's any great shakes but i would never have dreamed right. that god would take my little life and then right. with all of that messed up background and the kind of a shaky beginnings to life and now having been able to go through 50 years of ministry in 35, 40 countries of the mm-hmm. world and helping to be a part of reaching men and women for the cause of Christ and for the gospel. It, it, it's just an amazing thing that it, it's still a work of grace. Mm-hmm. And I think probably there's someone listening tonight out in their car, in their home, and in the garage. They're listening to the program about these minor prophets, and there's somebody who's thinking that maybe God can't use them. Mm-hmm. They made too big a mistake. They're not mm-hmm. smart enough. They didn't mm-hmm. go to seminary. Oh, I, I I goofed up. I I got a divorce. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did something happened. To my, I, I I have got a wonderful wonderful friend who who really was a pastor and um, a great ministry seminary doctor. You know, one of a real doctor high voltage. I mean, a great preacher, and yet his his life got messed up and confused, and and he lost his family, and he lost his his calling to the pastorate, and. And 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 yet he's gone on. He 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 pray, it took some time. He he humbled himself before God. He repented. He uh, asked God and claimed God's forgiveness. But then he's gone on. And today he's having a great impact. Mm-hmm. Hundreds and hundreds of lives of people being touched and by his life. Mm-hmm. Not what he thought it would be, but who knows? He may be more impactful now. He may be having more influence for the gospel than he would have had even as a pastor. Mm-hmm. Only in God's future and in His wisdom we'll ultimately find out. But never cut yourself short, my friends. God is your Savior. He's your Lord. He will use you. 
Look for that opportunity. We'll see you next week here on The Bible Live. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping restore the Bible to our culture. Mailing address is P.O. Box 18888. That's Box 18888. San Antonio, Texas, 78218. Hear the entire Bible every year on The Bible Live, weeknights at 930 on this great station. Then join Soapy every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock for fun, inspiration, and valuable prizes on The The Bible Bible Live Live Quiz Show. Show. Visit our website, BibleLive.com. That's BibleLive.com for more information about Soapy and The Bible Live broadcast. You may also order materials at the website and make tax-deductible donations to help minister to our military personnel and broadcast the entire Bible every year to America and the world. 